Welcome to season two of The Influencers. We've expanded our scope to bring you interviews with some of the most interesting and thoughtful voices from the digitally driven seismic transformation happening at the intersection of law, business and technology. We'll be sharing with you the rapidly evolving information that you need to know. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another session of The Influencers with conversations on the digital transformation and law. I'm Leo von Gerlach, and with me today is Mary Rose McGuire. Mary Rose is an ordinary professor, a full professor, so to say, at the European Legal Studies Institute of the University of Osnabrück. And she is a speaker, she's the speaker of the newly founded research unit, Law and Data Economy. That ties obviously very well into one of the focus areas of the University of Osnabrück, who has just founded a newly AI campus. And that's one of the topics we want to speak about today, as is the AI Act of the European Union. But perhaps before we do so, Mary Rose, you just share with us what you're working on at the moment. What keeps you busy? Sure. Thank you for inviting me. I think it's a good chance to actually describe what the university can contribute to this area of research. I personally hold a chair for private law, IP law, and German European civil procedure. At first glance, that sounds like three entirely different areas of law, but in practice, they really tie into each other. My starting point always is the question how we can foster innovation in the field of technology. So this requires three things. Obviously, the first step is the protection of the technology itself, usually by IP rights, such as patents and trade secrets, copyrights maybe, or by means of other legal constructions, as we now, for example, see with the Data Act, which is coming up on the level of the European Union. So my main research focus is IP law and neighboring issues such as the Data Act. But IP law is just a good starting point. There are two further requirements for spreading innovation. The second is a good and secure infrastructure for sharing innovation. Usually that's a contractual agreement. It could be a transfer or license agreement. And that's why I also hold a chair for private law. And my main focus here is contracts. License contracts, of course, is one of my favorite research subjects. And the third requirement is legal certainty, meaning that all actors in the ma market must know which law applies and that it will be enforced if they don't act in alignment. And that is what civil procedure, or as I call it, cross-border litigation is all about. So private law, IP law, and cross-border litigation. So the short answer to my research area is my research team and I will work on how we can protect upcoming technology and securely share it without stifling innovation. Okay, now I fully understand why everybody calls you the world expert on the edge of IP and technology. And I think that ties in nicely with what the university wants to achieve in one of its latest activities, and that's the foundation of this new AI campus. Perhaps you tell us a bit of what the story is behind that campus and how that ties into your own work. Well, I assume that not everyone listening knows where Osnabrück actually is. Osnabrück is a small, I would say, university town in northern Germany. It is a small university by comparison to other German uh, universities. So our approach is that we don't cover all research areas or faculties, 
So for example, you couldn't study medicine in Osnabrück, but what we do, we strive to do well. And we have renowned faculties for mathematics, computer science, philosophy, and cognitive science, business, and law. So the AI campus seeks to combine all these faculties, but it's nothing which was founded out of the blue. It really is that the AI campus builds on a long-term profile development in the fields of artificial intelligence. So there were research-oriented units in computer science, cognitive science, business informatics, mathematics. They all had research groups originally. The new thing about this AI campus is that the separate research units of the different faculties are added, they are joined together, and they all have a common research topic. They focus on AI, and really everyone combines its own perspective, its methodology, and we work on common projects. That's super important because it's not a theoretical endeavor. We really work in actual projects with our project partners, and we seek to make it work from all the different disciplines and perspectives. So I've mentioned that there have been research units for cognitive science and business information and so on. So where does law come in? Actually, the legal department just joined this project three years ago. We, for instance, were working on a project on smart farming. And our approach is that we have to ensure that everything which is developed, the business models, but also the technological tools, that they will be apt for running in practice. It's not just a technical issue. It must be the possibility to actually use them lawfully. And that's our task. So we work with the project partners. We look into what they're developing. And perhaps there are two different technological possibilities to solve a problem. And then the lawyers come in and say, well, if you do it this way, this entails the following duties or there's the following problem coming up. Why not choose a different version of this? So... Lawyers often work, they look at something which has happened and then they state what the law is or maybe they criticize the judiciary. But this is totally different. We have to look years ahead and say, what is developed today will go on the market in three or five years. What will the framework be in a few years from now? And that's why we work closely with those who actually develop this models and tools. And that's really what makes it so fascinating. Well, I can only attest that I've been following you and your institute for a couple of years. And it's just impressive yeah, how you drive this interdisciplinary just approach, which seems to be so pertinent, I think, for the problems that we have to tackle at the, um, at the time. And still, I think those problems are very broad in nature. But perhaps let's try to narrow them down a little bit further. You mentioned um, at the beginning, something about data, data economy, data licensing. Would it be fair that the data economy and how to treat data from the technology side, from the legal side, from the contractual side is one of those areas you are particularly concerned with? Yes, of course. And I can give you one example. We're working on project of smart farming. Now, smart farming means they're using all these new connectivity tools in order to make farming more sustainable. They need, for instance, less water, less resources. Of course, how does it work? The data is combined to find out more details about a certain batch of land, for example. Now, data from a technological perspective is just information. 
But then if you take a legal view, it may be all sorts of different things. It may be a trade secret. It may be a copyrighted database. It could be uh, a patented innovation. It could be personal data, which you're not allowed to use. So what we're doing is we're looking at the technological solutions and the data stream, and we're trying to find out how you can you construe it to make sure that it meets all the legal requirements. For instance, if it's a trade secret, you have to protect it. You have to make sure that whomever you share it with will also ensure that it doesn't leak out. Or if it's personal data, you have to ensure, well, maybe we have to exchange the data or synthesize data or whatever to make sure that it is lawful to actually implement what is going on the market later on. Now, when it comes to research, there are a lot of exceptions for research and development, and you may make use of it, but then what's the point of having a, an exception for data mining or maybe using of copyrighted or patented inventions if then later on you want to develop it into a business model, they will not be able to rely on these research exceptions. So we work with a lot of project partners and our emphasis is not, is it lawful today, but will it be possible to put this model on the market in three years from now? And this requires to look at exactly the data stream and optimize it from a legal perspective. Well, that's very, very interesting because, as you said, we are just confronting with something new. I mean, we had data protection, but that's something, a very specific aspect of protective rights against some form of intrusion. But we are speaking here about something different and perhaps more comprehensive, turning data into commercial assets and just giving full light to this new class of right and asset. And clearly that needs to be supported by law and legislation. And that perhaps brings me to the question, well, we see so many legislative attempts, proposals, drafts coming in particular from the European Union, let's say the AI Act, the Data Act, the Data Governance Act. Um, your overall take, is that supportive? Does that go in the right direction? What's your view in the broader scheme? Well, I guess it really depends on the perspective. If you take a close look at the different texts, um, there is a lot of room for improvement, obviously. And many suggestions have been made, for instance, with regard to the AI Act. And some of them are very sound. I think some of the definitions need more refining. Then perhaps some of the duties are just too broad or too strict. In particular, when we look at small and medium enterprises, we don't want to stifle innovation. There is a lot of criticism that the terms are vague, that the ob obligations are unclear, that they're too far-reaching. And then really no one knows how you could actually comply with them. Look at all these documentation duties coming in, both under the Data Act and the AI Act. So how would a small and medium enterprise actually fulfill all these um, requirements? How long do they have to keep all this uh, information? Does it require blockchain technology in order to, when a lawsuit comes up in 10 years, to actually provide evidence on them? So on the micro level, I think it's quite obvious that there's a lot of room for improvement. And I understand that not everyone is totally happy what's coming out of the European Union. So the answer may be no. But if you look at it, at the same acts from a different perspective, so a big picture, I think actually it is a very good development because these different regulations, the AI regulation, the Data Act, they establish a common document we can take as a starting point for our discussion. 
and it establishes definitions and a common terminology. So we actually know what we're talking about. And I think the European Union also takes a very clear stance on the values it seeks to protect. So the aim is to preserve our European core values, even if this means that we have to restrict technology. And that's a very clear commitment. We also expect that there may be a similar effect as the GDPR had. Um, the GDPR had a very strong influence on other regions in the world. It really established a common standard. And of course, also when it comes to data protection, the rule is not without fault. Probably it's too strict, but it established a new standard which spilled out to other countries and made us able to negotiate with them. So I think it's a good starting point and a good basis. And I hope that the same would hold true for the current European data strategy and the AI Act and the Data Act. That's, that's no, thank you. That's a very positive, overall positive take on the legislation. There is a challenge, though, because the legislation is always driven by events taking place in technology and technological development. And that is going faster and faster and faster as, as time progresses. So there is always the risk that the legislation lags behind and the challenge to catch up. Is that a particular risk for a legislation that tries to be as specific as we have on the European draft arena right now? Or what's the solution to that problem of speed and pace? I fully acknowledge it is a problem, but I don't think there's a solution because the legislative process is not well adapted to fast technological changes. That's just a fact. If we look at uh, how democracy in Europe works, if all the member states should be involved in all the committees and all the stakeholders and everyone has a word to say, then we can't expect legislation in two or three months. It just doesn't work. We can't have all of it. And I think a good comparison or a good concept to look at it is the comparison with the patent system. The patent system also lags behind. The innovation cycle is faster than the patent system. So if you look at the granting procedure for a patent, it may take two and a half or three or even seven years. And of course, by the time actually the patent is granted, the innovation is not new anymore. But it doesn't mean that the patent system is not valuable. It's a very reliable system. But if you're looking for a genuine innovation, probably the patent register is not the place to look for. So the same is with when we look at the legislation of the European Union. It can set a standard. It provides a framework and a terminology with which we can work, but it probably will not solve all the questions we have and not all the problems. As to the criticism on whether the European legislator should push forward, I think a good test would be what is actually the alternative. If the European Union would not push forward, we would see national data strategies in half of the European countries and probably nothing at all in the other half of the European Union countries because they have other current issues. And I think even if it's not a perfect framework, it's good that it is a uniform framework. I think that is a very wise approach and we should not, I mean, we should be ambitious, but not overly ambitious when it comes to the expectation towards just legislation and how that corresponds to the latest developments in technology. We will always need to work on that and just work on the edges and make it a little bit better. So that was very, very helpful, very insightful. Thank you so much, Mary Rose. Um, I love to talk with you. Um, and thank you, of course, everybody for joining in. And I hope you join again to our next episode, which will be forthcoming soon. With that, have a good day all and 
Take care. Goodbye. Visit our digital assets and blockchain hub at engagepremium.hoganlovels.com for more podcasts and other resources. Or download more episodes from the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app for Android users.